0: Today is Saturday, January 27th, and we are talking all about streaming services. In 2024, we continue to see rising prices, more ad-supported options, new live sports deals, along with fans' frustrations about them, and more. To help us make sense of it all, I'm joined today by renowned expert on the streaming media industry, Dan Rayburn. He analyzes the industry on his popular streaming media blog, which has become one of the most widely read sources for broadcast and streaming providers, industry executives, and Wall Street money managers. And he's the host of the Dan Rayburn podcast. We'll get into recent streaming trends and happenings and how it all affects us, the customers. From finding our favorite TV series to when we get to watch Hollywood movies at home to later, a deep dive into the world of live sports on streaming. Welcome, welcome to the Newsworthy Special Edition Saturday, when we sit down with a different expert or celebrity every Saturday to talk about something in the news. Don't forget to tune in every Monday through Friday for our regular episodes, where we provide all the day's news in 10 minutes. I'm Erica Mandy. It's now time for today's Special Edition Saturday. Dan Rayburn, thank you so much for joining us here on the Newsworthy.
1: Thanks for having me again.
0: So first, let's just talk about the big picture of streaming. How would you describe the continued rise of streaming services over cable. How many streaming services are people paying for right now? And Too many. <laughs> and with prices continuing to rise, you know how much are people paying overall at this point?
1: If you're asking all the right questions, and let's just talk about it from a high level right now, while I cover the the industry and have been in the industry, which is now more than 30 years old, believe it or not, it is very cons- you know confusing for consumers who every day have more options and choices out there to where to get movies, music, entertainment, which is what we like as consumers is choice. But with choice comes confusion and complexity. How many services the average consumer has is really unknown. We've seen a lot of stats that say it's anywhere between four to different, six different services. but That doesn't mean they're paying for them all. But it's, it's confusing for consumers. And you really have to figure out now, what do you really want to watch? What is the priority? In your household of the type of content you watch and when you want to watch it, obviously live and sports is different. But this idea that OTT services were going to be cheaper than cable TV and offer more flexibility and less bundling, that's just not the case.
0: And now to to make things even more complicated, a lot of them are offering ad-supported plans. You have to pay even more to get those ads removed. I mean, even Netflix that once claimed it would never do that is is now doing that. Amazon Prime Video will start showing ads next week. You have to pay more to take those away. A- and these, of course, are ads with a subscription fee. What's going on here?
1: So we know consumers are willing to pay for content as commercials. Doesn't mean we like it, but we know they're willing to do it. Netflix has always been ad-free because they felt that having an ad-free experience was a large reason that consumers were using Netflix. But there's a lot of other users out there who would rather see ads and pay less per month to Netflix as the trade-off. And the evidence we have, and this is a public number, Netflix came out and told Wall Street that when they rolled out their AVOD service, which is advertising video on demand, at a much cheaper price, $7 a month, than a regular Netflix subscription, more than 25% of new subscribers who picked the Avod plan. That tells you one in four new subscribers are okay with seeing ads and paying
0: less. So now it's more about the content than the ad-free experience.
1: Well, in the industry, we would always say content is king. So we think it's always been about the content to begin with, but pricing is something that we have to think about as consumers because most don't have unlimited budgets. We have to decide what we want to pay for every month how much content we want to have access to. And because one of the benefits of these services is that you can turn them on and off so often, we can also jump from service to service to service, which many of the services obviously don't like. But that's one of the things they've made easy is to turn them on and off. So binge watching still takes place. You watch a particular series across a streaming platform, you might turn it off for many months.
0: And as popular as streaming is with viewers today, a lot of these platforms, my understanding is that they're not actually profitable with streaming services yet. Is that right? And why is that?
1: That is factually accurate. Netflix is extremely profitable. Warner Bros. Discovery, Paramount, Disney, all their D2C services are losing a ton of money except for maybe a quarter here or there. For instance, ESPN Plus actually turned a very small profit last quarter, but not Hulu, not Disney Plus, just ESPN Plus. Some of these companies are blowing through so much money. To put it in perspective, in one quarter, Disney's direct-to-consumer service lost $1.1 billion in 90 days. It's a lot of money.
0: So why is that happening? And what does that really mean for consumers in the long run?
1: Well, it means we're paying more, of course. Every single service out there you can think of is raised pricing at least once, if not two or three times in the last year, year and a half, two years. Some raise it every year like clockwork. And the reason the price is going up is because the largest cost to all of these services is content acquisition, licensing content, or creating content, original content creation. That is the biggest problem that they're having is content costs are so high. The other issue that really is a problem on their end but it impacts all of us as consumers is Disney and some of these others came to the market, for instance, with Disney Plus, at such a low price that what they told us as consumers is, we've got a lot of really great content, but you just shouldn't have to pay much for it. You know, Disney Plus, when it came out, if you bought it in a bundle, three-year bundle that some Disney uh, members could do, they were paying about $4 a month locked in to three years. Why did Disney executives think they can make money on content that costs so much money to produce when you're spending $4 a month as a consumer? The numbers don't work. So then all of a sudden what happened when all these companies started losing so much money, what they went and did internally was run the numbers and say, there's no way we can make this a profitable business over time unless we cut costs while at the same time we raise costs to consumers. And that's what they've done.
0: I want to talk about the movie industry. Two things come to mind for me. One, uh, we saw, you know, some movies going straight to streaming during the pandemic. So let's talk about a quick update on on what's happening with that. And then two, you know, streaming played a big role in the writer's strike recently. Writers and actors aren't feeling like they're making as much money uh, because of streaming. So how is streaming impacting the movie industry in 2024?
1: What we saw during the strike was, to your point, streaming did play a part in terms of writers and actors wanting more based on what was taking place with streaming and popularity online. So they did get more money. They did work out uh, new deals. And we do have Netflix, Warner Bros. Discovery, and others who are producing all these films come out and say, yes, it's going to cost them a little bit more now to produce that. Uh, that said, because of the strike, they also spent less money last year. So Netflix projects so far, what they've given us is that they expect to spend about $18 billion on content in 2024. In 2023, they spent $17 billion. So they actually spent a billion dollars less because of the strike. So we've seen some of that from the studios and those creating content, the strike did have an impact. The impact going forward is that there are going to be fewer movie releases in the first four months of this year because content production is just ramping back up. So the movie industry is interesting to watch. It's not dead and dying like everyone thought. And people saying, oh, after COVID, no one's going to go back to a theater. That's not the case. IMAX just had a ridiculous record year In terms of revenue and viewership so that was great for them so when it comes to movies it's all about finding the best platform for your content and initially during covid we did see some companies um, warner media was was one at the time before they merged with discovery where it was okay day and date release as we call it the moment it comes in the theater and since most theaters were closed let's put also put it on streaming so they did that for a year but what was interesting was The year after that, they came to the market into Wall Street and said, from doing that, we didn't really see that have a positive impact on our streaming growth. It was a temporary growth spurt. Those consumers didn't stay. They came because they wanted to watch Dune, and then they left. So movies in the theater are still thought of as the primary distribution platform or outlet, but the amount of time it now takes for a movie to go from the movie theater to the streaming service, that has condensed tremendously. In some cases, it's as short as 45 days, but it depends on the movie.
0: And it used to be what?
1: It could be six months to a year.
0: Next up, we are talking live sports. The good, the bad, the ugly. Why so many fans are feeling frustrated and what to expect next. And a quick note, the news of Netflix's latest deal with the WWE for exclusive rights to their flagship program, Monday Night Raw, came out right after our conversation with Dan Rayburn, Of course, we talked about the deal earlier this week in our regular news roundups, and the Netflix news still does fit with the larger discussion here about the role of streaming in the world of live sports moving forward. Plus, Dan Rayburn shares why he thinks broadcast and cable TV are actually not going away anytime soon. But first, a quick break for our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Lumi. If you're like me, the start of your year is already a busy one. So if you need a deodorant that can keep up with you while you're on the go, Lumi is a game-changing, whole-body deodorant that can work on everything from your pits to your feet. I use the stick deodorant on a daily basis, as usual, and I love the body wash in the shower, too. Then I keep the convenient deodorant wipes on hand for on-the-go. And no matter where or how you use it, Lumi is clinically proven to block odor all day long and control odor for up to 72 hours— And they've got over 275,000 five-star reviews to show for it. It's baking soda-free, paraben-free, and more. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like mini body wash and deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code NEWSWORTHY at lumideodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit Lume, L-U-M-E, deodorant.com and use the code NEWSWORTHY. This episode is also brought to you by Honeylove. All of us have those certain items in our closet that you pick over everything else, right? For me, that's definitely Honeylove's Legging 2.0. I literally wear these pretty much every day until I need to wash them. They're cute with a stylish look and shaping. They're comfortable with a super soft cooling material that holds you in without feeling too tight, and they're convenient, with pockets that don't add bulk but still make it really easy to carry around my phone when my hands are full. So whether I'm working from home, working out, or running around town with my toddler, Honey Love's Legging 2.0 are my go-to. I'm also a huge fan of their shapewear, and our executive producer agrees there's a reason she's chosen Honey Love shapewear over other brands, even on her wedding day. Treat yourself to the best bras, shapewear, and leggings on the market, and save 20% off at honeylove.com slash newsworthy. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash newsworthy. After your purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Start the new year with confidence. Thanks to Honeylove. Okay, now back to our conversation. So let's talk about sports. It's getting a lot of attention in the streaming world right now. And it's really one of the few types of content, if not the only one, that gets people to watch live still. Um, We've got Amazon Prime Thursday Night Football A couple of games recently were only available on the less popular Peacock, which I know frustrated a lot of fans. What's going on with sports and streaming, and and what do you think the future holds?
1: Man, sports is an absolute nightmare for fans right now. It is a mess. And unfortunately, the reason it's a mess is that the sports leagues as a whole, almost all of them, do not care about the fan. Let's just come out and say it. They do not care about us as fans. What they care about is making the most most money they can for the league. And we know that because they're cutting deals with, to your point, Amazon and Apple and NBC Sports for Peacock, which is owned by Comcast. And the problem now is sports fans have to have three, four, or sometimes even five different services if they want to watch every single game from their team. NFL, to your point, they just put their first ever wildcard game on Peacock about a week ago. Yes, you have a lot of angry fans because Fans are also saying, wait a minute, Peacock is owned by NBC Sports. Well, it's owned by Comcast, the conglomerate. So I'm already paying a cable operator like Comcast a pretty extensive amount of money every month to get access to NBC Sports. And then the one football game that I want to see isn't on NBC Sports, but is put on an NBC property, Peacock, but then I have to go pay $6 a month to see it. What am I paying for pay TV for?
0: Do you think there will ever be enough backlash that fans are able to take that leverage back, or is NFL just too popular and fans will ultimately pay? What does the future hold?
1: You know that's a great question, but unfortunately, we already know the the answer, and it's not good for fans. Peacock, it's estimated, leaked out in the media a while ago that they paid 110 million dollars for the NFL wild card game. 110 million dollars for one game. They released numbers after the game, and they had 24.6 million peak viewers. So that seems like a big number, right? But Fox for their NFL wildcard game peaked at 43.4 million. So Peacock was 40% fewer viewers and yet the NFL made more money because they licensed it to Peacock, I would call it a technology company, but it's owned by Comcast, a cable operator. And yet we don't have any numbers from NBC Sports or I should say Comcast that owns Peacock that they actually made any money from the game in the industry when you run the numbers based on the number of ads they sold at a cpm rate and the number of subscribers we think they might have gotten for that game they still lost a lot of money but unfortunately these companies have so much cash that they can afford to do this so i think it's going to be a backlash on the sports leagues years down the line but for now they are just they are making so much money from it
0: we did see the ncaa sign a new eight-year deal with espn that's reportedly valued at nearly a billion dollars what can you tell us about that deal, especially as it relates to you know linear cable TV versus streaming?
1: What it shows us is just what the viewership really is on pay TV, and to put that in, in an example with numbers, NBC Sports, CBS Sports, Fox Sports, and ESPN all recently announced NFL numbers for viewership on pay TV. Some also announced digital. If you look at NBC Sports when they gave out digital numbers for Peacock, NBCSports.com, and NFL Plus. That was 7% of the total viewership number when you combine it with pay TV. So every single one of these streaming games, that you, I should say games that have a streaming viewership to it, it's less than 10% of the overall viewership when you add in pay TV. So what does that tell you? Pay TV is still making up more than 90% of all the peak viewers. And we have those numbers from almost every single service out there.
0: And what do you think when it comes to the actual experience of watching in terms of quality? Are there any pros and cons there when it comes to broadcast TV versus streaming?
1: No matter where you are in the U.S., if you go to watch an NFL game on Fox Sports on your TV, every single person who's watching that game, no matter what city they're living in, and no matter what cable operator they have, gets the same quality experience. Also, on broadcast television, high definition HD is a standard. Now, the moment you go to streaming, The problem is that none of these streaming services, Peacock, Apple TV, Prime Video by Amazon, Netflix, they don't control the entire end-to-end distribution. So in many cases like Netflix, Netflix doesn't even control the device. They don't make a streaming device. So Netflix is running on someone else's hardware. Peacock is running on someone else's hardware. Prime might be running on their own hardware or somebody else's. They also are not ISPs, internet service providers. So they're not controlling that last mile, as we call it, that's coming into your home, that's actually delivering that video. Compare that to pay TV where you have a set-top box. The set-top box is in your home on hardware that is standardized across that ISP, that cable operator. It's coming in from a company that not only owns the set-top box, but also owns that connection into your home. In other words, they're controlling the quality end-to-end. On the streaming side, you could have multiple partners involved in that entire chain. The technology has no standard and that makes it really difficult to provide a uniform quality experience to every single person everywhere in the us or around the world on many different internet service providers with different bandwidth speeds using different hardware so that's why you see every live event on the internet i don't care where it is if you go and you look on twitter during the event you will see people sharing error screens black screens Uh, the app doesn't load the app is crashing And that's never going to go away, unfortunately. That is the reality and the nature of the technology.
0: And all of this from someone who has covered streaming for a long time, has felt passionate about streaming services, and yet I'm hearing a lot of frustration from you as someone who covers streaming about what's going on in the industry right now.
1: 2023 marked the 30th year, three decades of streaming media technology being on the Internet. The first Internet streaming out there was dial-up only, audio only, terrible quality audio Uh, Some of the first events we ever did were horrible, but at the time it it truly was new technology and it was revolutionary. What frustrates me in the industry is how many people want to compare pay TV to streaming and say, well, this will displace that. In most industries, one platform doesn't replace another. It's a complement to it. Streaming as a technology, as a platform cannot provide as reliable a service from a video standpoint, as scalable either with quality that pay TV can. It's just not how the technology is set up. And yet we've come a long way in 30 years. There are streaming events you see in the internet that some of my friends, they walk into my home, they can't tell that streaming. They think it's broadcast TV. The quality is that good. But with quality, you also have to provide scale. Scaling for quality is where the real difficulty comes in.
0: Final thoughts about streaming in 2024 as we wrap up this conversation today.
1: I always think the best thing to do is just sit down and talk about what content is most important to you and then figure out what your budget is. And then from there, decide what's worth paying for. And also remember, if you don't like it, cancel it. You don't have to sign up for a whole year. Very flexible.
0: So before we wrap up today, we do want to share the NFL's response to that backlash it received for its decision to air a wildcard game on Peacock. The league posted to X that the game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Miami Dolphins did air on free broadcast TV in their home markets. And an NFL spokesperson said in part, quote, The NFL's media strategy has been to make our games available in as many ways as possible to meet our fans where they spend their time. As streaming video becomes commonplace, we are increasingly expanding the digital distribution of NFL content. All right, that should do it for us today. Thank you to our guest, Dan Rayburn, for sharing his insights on all things streaming. Check out new episodes of the Dan Rayburn podcast available every week and go to streamingmediablog.com for more of his analysis. We'll continue to cover any major updates in the world of streaming, along with the rest of the day's headlines, in our regular weekday episodes where we bring you 10 minute news roundups in our signature fast, fair, fun style. So we'll see you on Monday. Until then, have a great weekend.